Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. And remember, I'm only as hip as my guest. And I have to tell you, it was like a rain. It's a rainy day. I said that earlier. And, and when I got up to get dressed today, I usually wear T-shirts. And a lot of times, you know, people will send me T-shirts. So if you ever want to send me one, I'll gladly wear it. Promote a project, product or whatever. But I had this shirt on. And I don't know why, but the lovely Joanne hates this shirt. I have a shirt with a pigeon on it. And a while ago, I got it at Urban Outfitters. I was just walking around. And I will never pay $25 for a T-shirt. I no way. But this was a sale for five dollars and i just fell in love with this shirt and i've had it for like five years and since i was dating just dating joanne she's like she hates a shirt and when she does you know sometimes we switch off doing the laundry she'll sit there and i know i can tell she did the laundry and the shirt was in the laundry because i will find it like stacked because i have like a hundred hundred shirts it's stacked like on the very bottom and i have to find it and i wore it today because it was just a cloudy day and i said it felt like the pigeon show so that's all it is. Anyway, we have a great, uh, great show. I, I saw this uh, young, young uh, comic. Very, very funny. Uh, I never saw her, but I saw she had posted with a, the very funny L'Oreal. And they did a show at UCB or? Yeah, UCB my, Sunset. My guest, yeah. Melinda, Melinda Hill. How you doing, Melinda? Hi, everyone. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's good to have you. Now, no, you said you were, were you teaching someone earlier or you, you said you were in a casino earlier? I have a client, a client earlier. Now, you do private comedy coaching and stuff like that too, right? I do, yes. I do teaching. Uh, I teach stand-up. I teach web series uh, in the writer's program at UCLA Extension and also privately. Actually, mainly privately now. And But this was actually a PR client, a social okay. media consulting client. So you do PR stuff? I really try not to because <laughs> um, I'm so busy, but I, can, I continue to get hired uh, and I just... I do it if I have time, but I'm I'm really good at it because I do it for my own stuff and I have a lot of friends and friends of friends, you know, contacting me saying, Hey, could you help me? You know, all that stuff you do for your your shows, could you do that for my event? And so if I have time I I do take on clients for PR and I do enjoy doing it. Um and I can pack out their event or get them written about in the press and what have you. And so I, I have one uh, a client now, uh who I was meeting with earlier today. That's awesome though, because you're 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 a multitasker, and I always say you have to be proactive. I I am um, I I I think I also my big thing is just I need to stay focused. So I try not to take on too much right. that's going to dissipate my energy. But you know I do enjoy doing several things, and when it comes your way, you know if I can do it, I will. Good. Well, now we we talked to her a little before. You, you were born in Kansas. Yes. Okay. And now did you move around a lot? It sounded like you moved around a lot. Uh, yes, I did. It sounded like that. No, because the way you said it, you said, well, I was born in Kansas, but you didn't say, you didn't say, you know, where I said, where did you live a lot of different places? So were you, was it, were you a military kid or? No, I, that's funny. Everyone asks um, if we were military because we did move 27 times. So they're always like, oh, is your dad in the military? And I'm like, um, yes, he's in the bipolar army. Right. <laughs> no, he, he was in the military. He was a Navy, but he also loved moving. Yes, that's that was his hobby. If that was really, yeah, he really like enjoyed, you know, thought I think almost thought of it as a project. Interestingly enough, but he also did have several jobs that involved that had transfers. So we moved uh, pretty much around all around Colorado, Kansas, Wyoming, and Oklahoma. Although I feel like I'm mostly from Colorado Springs. That's where I spent my formative years. And where I felt really inspired and yeah, I really loved living there. A lot of times I think uh, when kids move a lot, I think that's why a lot of us end up getting, I didn't move a lot. I didn't move at all. But a lot of kids, people I've talked to have been in the business. I think a lot of times it makes it an easy transition because when you're young and you're moving a lot, when you go into a new classroom, it's like you're auditioning. I mean, you think about it, you go in the first grade, you're in Colorado, whatever, and you have to get these new group of friends. And then all of a sudden you get accepted and after third grade you move so you're you're auditioning someone i mean did you feel you ever went through that oh absolutely i mean it's it's uncanny the parallel between being the new person introduced in in the front of the class to performing for an audience that you've never met you know it's you, it's the same adrenaline i think now, what point did your in your life did you sit there and decide you wanted to do comedy? Because you, you did comedy, you did stand up, started doing stand up, right? Or acting? I don't know what you, you. I know you do stand up, but how? Did, what point in your life did you sit there and say, you know what? Um, I'm, I, I want to do this. Like, were you a little kid or what, what happened? Uh, it's a good question. I 
always, I always uh, would make up characters and make up little plays. So I've always been like writing and acting without knowing what it was. Um, I would, you know, hit the tennis ball against the garage door for hours and just make up names of characters and voices and like family trees and for fun. And I was like four, you know, seven years old. And then I would write little plays for my brothers to act in. And I would always set them up as a straight person and be like the crazy person and, you know, make my family laugh. I didn't understand that that was a career that people could have, like making up characters, voices, writing plays. I mean, it was the Midwest. I didn't know anyone who did that kind of stuff. Um, And certainly no one in my family did. But yeah, then I went on to do you know, all of that stuff. I do voiceovers and writing and comedy and acting. And, um, but I think it was like in, I mean, I always knew I could write because my teachers would always tell me, you know, tell my mom, she's ahead of her writing level. And I would always test out of school, like into those, remember they used to do the gifted and talented programs. I was in, (laughs) I was in a gifted program for math my freshman year. No, it was, no, I remember I was a gifted for math for geometry mm-hmm. and I sucked at geometry. Like I got a D and my mom made me go to summer school. And I'm like, I don't want to go to summer school. You can't go to summer school if you're in a gifted class. She's like, no, they're going to see. So she, and I had to drive my bike two miles to the damn school. And there was all like these people who I, I should, they're all older because I'm, I was a freshman and mostly class full of sophomores and it was awful. And then I remember going to trigonometry the next year and I, I was only one of three freshmen, but I actually did good in trigonometry. I'm three sophomores. I was did good in trigonometry, but it's weird to get to classes. It's like, cause they, it's like they would sit there and you would almost feel like if you were younger, like, Oh, they're gifted. And it, I think it would always make you feel weird. Yeah. I mean, uh, we, we moved a lot, obviously. So we, my brother and I would test out of the school immediately right into the the G and T classes, uh, as they were called, and then or whatever they were calling it at the school. And then my little brother never tested into those, but he actually is a like a math genius and he went on to become an actuary. But he Yeah, so I was just in like in those creative classes and I would like write poems. I remember like this poem I wrote like in first grade. It was called My Glue Stick Has the Flu. And my teacher read it to the class. And I was like always painting things and like I drew this Technicolor beetle and it got into the Colorado Springs Art Museum when I was like in second grade and my and my parents lost it in a move. And so but the, but the teachers were always telling them like, she's very creative. She's a creative, you know. So that's cool. That, that's good though. So they knew you were creative, but of course in the Midwest, you know, what are you going to do with creative? I mean, it's not like, you know, if you're in New York or Eisenhower, Philadelphia, where there's a lot of creative outlet. So how did you decide to advance this creativity when you got in high school did you get involved with stuff or did you go to college or how did you advance all this yeah i what happened was i was in a um let's see i was in a class uh i think it was ninth grade and uh it was a class where you had for some reason we had i think it was like a speech class or something for some reason we had to bring in a celebrity impression so i brought in Susie and the Banshees. Susie from Susie and the Banshees, which nobody else is bringing in that celebrity. No, no, exactly. I, no one even knows that you're back. No, I don't even know who she was. But I was like in the full, you know, alternative music scene, and I loved her, and I brought her in, and and I realized I was really good at doing characters, because then everyone was like, "Wow, you're not sure that's a knack." And then so I auditioned for a play, and I ended up getting. Um, you know, the lead in the play. And I, I realized it was really easy for me. I could memorize lines very easily. I could read really well. Um, and it was really fun for me, almost like I had permission to have a personality in these characters because I was very shy in real life and I did not know how to talk to kids or make friends. But like, you know, I was, but like in in a character I was like fearless. So I just, whenever we moved to a new school, I would just audition for the play immediately. And I would, you know, always get the lead part. And I would always, I always knew I was going to get the lead part. Which must piss some of the other people off. Like there's always (laughs) that kid who's been like in the school for like his whole life going, finally, I'm going to, I'm going to get the lead. And then boom, Melinda Hill rolls into town. And there's kids from the other town going, oh, you better watch out for that Melinda Hill because she's coming to town. She'll screw your whole senior year up. I think they never even saw it coming because I'm just a shy (laughs) new girl, you know, very unassuming. And then I just had this, this knack though for like memorizing this whole thing. And, and then it kind of turned into, I remember I I got an acting scholarship to college, um, theater, theater degree, theater scholarship, uh, WSU, 
which is in Kansas. Okay. Um, <laughs> and I, that was great. I got a lot of experience on stage. And one play I was doing, um, I remember it was called The Diviners. And I did a play there called El Amastanaria. And then I did a play about, you know, Spelling Bee Champion. <laughs> And then I did, you know, other things, Damn Yankees, uh, The Crucible, Diviners. And in Diviners, I remember there was this girl that I was on stage with, and she, every time she said a line, the audience would laugh. And I realized, like, I was just setting up the, you know, the audience to laugh at this girl. And I started to get really jealous. Like, what is she doing? How is she doing that? And that was sort of my first introduction to comedy because I'd never watched it. Like growing up, I'd never had any interest. My brothers were super interested in it. I was more interested in like weird art films and foreign films and David Lynch stuff. And it never occurred to me to do comedy, but I wanted to understand what that laughter was. And that was sort of like the first thing that happened. And then I moved to L.A., when I was 21 and I went to a two year acting school that was pretty serious. So now did you, what made you decide to move to LA? Cause I mean, you, you didn't finish college, or, you know, you had a scholarship, but, and you just said, I mean, did something, was there a, a defining moment that you said, you know what, man, I got to go to LA. Yeah. I got kind of bored with, uh, I got kind of bored, uh, with Wichita and I was all, and so I moved to KU and I was studying at KU. I studied creative writing and I took like all writing classes and I was just writing, 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 which I loved. And I loved the supportive um, writing community there. Um, and Lawrence was really cool. But when it came to like, oh, now it's time to go to ethics class, I just couldn't make myself pay attention to anything except creative stuff. And I feel like, I, I kind of wish I would have gone to a school that was only, you know, for creative arts. Um, but, you know, I just, I kind of knew that I didn't want to learn that stuff and I didn't, I didn't want to waste my, you know, my, I didn't want to waste time or money on those classes. So I thought my time would be better spent um, doing, you know, pursuing what I really wanted to. So I moved to L.A., um, Sort of impulsively. Where'd you live? Because I always wonder where the first place people live. It always cracks me up because LA is so different now. And like I always say, when I first lived here, I was married and living in San Diego, but I would come here to try to get writing stuff doing. And I lived right behind Hollywood, I mean, Highland and Sunset. There was McDonald's and there was a little studio on Leland and I paid three eighty five. This was fifteen Highland years ago. Leland and Sunset. Wow. Oh Leland. I know Leland. Leland yeah. Three eighty five for studio. Yeah. Back that was fifteen years ago. 385, wow. Three, 387 to be exact. I don't know how I got 387. How long did you stay there? A uh, year, I think. Was it was it pretty good or was eh, it? it was, I mean, it, it had it had gated parking. Did it have a place to cook? Because if you don't have a place you can cook. Oh no, it had a place to cook, but then but then you'd also like hear outside in the dumpster, you hear like hookers rumbling through it. It's back when Hollywood was really bad. Back when hooks hookers needed a dumpster. Exactly, they were getting food get out. And then you look out the window sometimes and you see fights. With kids from Hollywood High, because it was a, I remember seeing this. I heard all this yelling, and I'm sitting there, and I go, "What the hell is this?" And I look out my window, and these two kids, and it was cool because it was a good old fist fight. It wasn't like guns or knives, and there's all these kids cheering on, and the one guy's beating the crap out of the other guy, and then they end, and they shook hands, and everyone dispersed, and it was cool. It was a great neighborhood. Wow. <laughs> now, where'd you move? Well, so uh, I I knew one person in New York and one person in L.A., um, and I was like, I'm moving. I'm gonna be an actress and uh i went to the visit the new york person to look for a place to live and it was like the biggest snowstorm they'd ever had or something <laughs> and like cars were buried and i was like i'm moving to la so i called the la person and she was like oh i'll get you a job at my restaurant and she uh said oh you can stay on our couch so i i stayed on her couch i paid them 200 a month um it was 600 rent so i paid them 200 rent two, 200 a month stay on the couch the job didn't pan out um and then i started this acting school and i got my own place up by uh man's chinese off a, okay. uh, on sycamore okay, and it was nice. a single for 400 that's good that's, that's a, now those things are probably like 2000 i mean do you think they're that high well, no, yeah I, they I, probably are i know a girl who lives they're on, probably like 1500 yeah at least. i know a girl who lives on la brea and a la brea in formosa like right around that area and she's been in her place forever and back 
15 years ago, it was like 1500 for a two bedroom. Now it's 2600. Building hasn't changed. And I'm sorry, if you're living in a luxury building, it's not luxury after it's been there for 15 years. It starts going down. You should be bringing the rent down. Well, the, the rental market right now is just Sick. insane. I, I moved earlier this year. Yeah. I live in Burbank. I've been there for a long time and I get good rent. Thank God. But so now you, you moved to LA. Yeah. And now, now did you... You start taking this acting class, this school. You're going to a school. Now, are you are you, are you you sitting there going, looking at what am I going to do after I get out of school? Or are you sitting there trying to get stuff going as you're in school? Well, I was, it's a good question. I was, oh my gosh, I almost forgot. Before I moved into the $400 single, I was living with like these six people in this two-bedroom um, down by Olympic. Okay. I think the street was Cardiff. Cardiff. <laughs> And when I started, I had my futon mattress. I think it was like living in a in or adjacent to a closet. And they were, you know, out of their minds. They were like driving down to Mexico every weekend, getting drugs. And I, I don't even know what all was happening. Coming home, spray painting the walls. And I started this acting school and it was very serious. And it was very like, you've got to be focused. And I had a boyfriend at the same time who was like, you got to get out of that place. So he helped me move up to Sycamore. Well, that's good though. It's, it's you know, so you got focused. You moved to great. Sycamore. I moved to Sycamore. I had been in LA like two or three months at this point. Um, I went to this two-year school. The school was like, you can't audition while you're here, and you you need to focus, and you can't take any other classes. But my boyfriend was in a really cool acting class, uh. And so I just kind of secretly started attending that one also. And I met a lot of people through that. Um, and at the end of the two-year school, uh, you know, I was like, the the teacher kind of had a consultation with you. And, and he said, I think you should go into comedy. And he said, because you're trying to do these funny scenes or you're trying to do these serious scenes. You're doing these serious scenes, but everyone's laughing. <laughs> hey, but that's... And I, that's when I sort of realized... I mean, I'd always made people laugh, like friends laugh and family laugh. And I'd always written these plays that made everyone laugh in my house. But I didn't... I just thought, like, everyone did that. I didn't understand that was uh, something that I should be going into. So uh, he encouraged me to go to the Groundlings, which I did. And also... Uh, there was a stand-up in my acting school who had a show, and he w- he was always telling me he was like, "I think you're a comedian," and I was, you know, I just had never done stand-up or anything, so I went to his show. He introduced me to the Booker. Uh, it was a show at the Comedy Store, and he said, "This is my friend Melinda. She's a very funny stand-up. You need to book her." So the Booker booked me for two weeks later, and and you'd never done stand-up. I'd never done stand-up. So what were you going through your mind? Because you know. It's, it's, I mean, I did stand up for years on the road and I got out of it. And, uh, and it's when my first, you know, when you first start off, you know, getting the first five minutes is so hard, even though you think it's great when you're writing. What was it like? Cause now you're, you're booked on a show. I mean, it, it did it put a little, I mean, did you have any idea what kind of act you were going to write? No, I, uh, <laughs> it was terrifying, but it was great. It's, and it's my favorite way to work still is I give myself a deadline, um, you know, pretty impossible deadline and then I promote it and invite everyone I know and then I forces me to write it and I still work that way because when I find when you have a deadline in it and this is something that I do with my students too I give them the deadline of you're going to be doing a show on the state because when you have a deadline you get it done and when you don't have a deadline you might keep going oh it needs to be a little better it needs to be a little this life happens whatever but so i had this deadline and i just accepted this crazy deadline it was in 2 weeks i'd never done stand up it was terrifying um and i started sort of writing this 7 minute thing and writing down little scraps of pe- paper little jokes and running it by people friends etc and they were like, oh, you're not going to say that, are you? Like, they were not supportive. <laughs> right. And they did not see the vision. Um, so I just showed up and I did this set. And it was a sold-out show. It was in the belly room. And it went great. And I hear this from comedians a lot, that the first show goes great. Always. Yep. First show goes great. Otherwise, you probably wouldn't do it again. I mean, the sh- first show didn't go great. I you mean, would leave, yeah. If traumatic. the first show sucked. and they were, they were... You'd be like, I got the message. Right. It's like, I wanted to do this. I'm not good at it. Yeah. 
And so, but it went great. And so, and then from that, somebody else booked me on another show that was like two weeks later. I didn't understand. I didn't know that when something goes well, you just do it again. I, you know, I just, <laughs> I just, I just had lunch. This is no lie with a guy in Philadelphia. He is a, he's a very, he owns a bunch of sandwich shops. His name's Tony Luke. He's very famous in Philly and he's starting to do comedy because he knows Craig Shoemaker and he did a show at Helium and me and Joanne met him for lunch because he was on my show when he visited LA and he's starting to do comedy now. And he said the same thing. He's like, I did the show and it went great. And then I'm sitting there and I went back and did another show and he's not doing five minutes. And he's like, the club owner's like, what are you doing? He's like, what? He goes, you do the same. He goes, there's people, and I know people have been doing the same act for 20 years. Yeah. And it's like, he's like, what are you doing? But so you didn't know. So you just wrote a whole new act? Yeah, I just wrote a whole new thing. And I was much more lazy with that sort of writing because I already knew it goes well. Right, goes well. Right. right? It's easy. <laughs> and it did not go well the second time. It was like, first of all, it wasn't, it wasn't sold out by any means. It was like 10 people. But um, it was... Uh, yeah, it didn't go well. So after that, I thought I, after that, I didn't do it again for many years. See, people scared, do that. scared me away. So now, now when you got out of cinema, the, but were you still doing the groundlings? Yes. So during that time, I just focused on the groundlings. I became very obsessed. I went to shows every night. Um, I really worked hard there and I learned, you know, they have a great program and I, you know, learned sketch writing and monologues and writing funny characters for myself and other people and all that stuff and got to work with amazing people. And again, we had crazy deadlines there. I mean, you know, like in advance, we were kind of having to write five sketches a week and that really gave me a great work ethic and, and really showed me, you know, that you don't need a lot of time to, to make something funny that's going to work. So yeah, I started, that's informed my, my teaching a lot. And I, and I've, had great teachers there. I had, uh, Tim Bagley was. He's, he's been. A, he's great. He's great. He's so funny. He's so oh, talented. He's wonderful. And he's. I wrote him actually, recently. Actually, two years ago when I started teaching, and I just said I want you to know that you were such, had such an impact on my life. You were such a great teacher, and and, uh, and then I saw him at, at Tender Greens, and he came up and hugged me. He was like, that was so sweet. But you know, um, because he was the first person who said you're really good at this. This you should be doing this. And he kind of gave me these pointers on how to write comedy and how to practice comedy. He suggested <laughs> practicing with, you know, naked in your in your house. And then um, for some reason that that makes you more fearless. And, you know, he's the first person who told me to that people who annoy you make the best characters. And that's informed my stand up and that's informed my teaching, you know, and. Um, I think people need to hear that. Like people in comedy need to hear from somebody who's funny and who's accomplished. Like, you know what? You can do this. Well, it does. It's, it's a whole mentoring thing. I mean, I think anything, you know, it's such a hard business and, and people, yeah, it, it sometimes just takes someone that says, wow, you know what? You're good at this. And then you're like, okay, I am. Cause we always have self doubts, you know, you know, you're doing comedy. I mean, I, when I was, would perform, you know, I could be. I could have a great, and I never use the word kill. And I hate one comment. I see it on Facebook all the time. I killed. No, you didn't kill. And you know, if, if you can't go to the ice house and do seven minutes and kill, get out of the business. Because <laughs> they laugh at setups at the ice house. But I would be, I would sit there and I would walk off stage, you know, and you're still that insecurity. I would, I would do like a 30 minute set and I would honestly, 95% would get laughs. And I'd be like, oh crap, crap. Am I going to get... Am I going to get rebooked here? I'm thinking, well, of course I'm going to get rebooked. But you think of that. And when you have someone who's accomplished, and they go, hey, man, you know what? What you're doing is really good. It means the world. And, you know, people don't think that. And that's why I hate when people don't give compliments. You know, I send stuff to people I don't really even know that I've met. And I go, man, I'm really proud of you. Even though I don't know them, yeah, I've met them once or twice, and they thought my show was funny. I say that because it means a lot. And people don't get that. It, it means so much. And, you know, I, I never took a stand-up class. Um, I, I have a lot of friends who have, but. I imagine it's good for the same reason, just that you get a deadline. Um, but but that training was great for me, just uh, going through that program and and just having like you know one or two teachers really get what I'm what I was doing and and encourage me. So that was well worth the money. So as you're doing the groundlings and this, yeah. and well, you did run away from stand up because it's like it sucks sometimes. And when you bomb, you do. I didn't go back for like two weeks, but then I was like, you know what? 
I got to get my friends like, what are you doing? Go back. And then That's I'm like, great. They're like, do you want to sit there and sell? And I was selling fax machines out of South Jersey. I had a little Fiero. I would have sold copiers, but I couldn't fit a copier in the Fiero. So I was selling fax machines when no one was selling fax machines. I mean, they were just coming out. And my friend's like, do you want to sell fax machines for the rest of your life? And I'm like, no. They go, well, then get your ass back on stage. But now when you were doing that, now, now you're doing the growlings. Now, when do you start trying to get out there and get work? Because, you know, you're sitting there, you're in the growlings, and you're learning. And that's the thing. Were you just trying to find an agent then? Or when did you start trying to really concentrate? Because you work a lot. When did you start concentrating on developing and getting just getting past that person being in a class? Well, I mean, that's a great question. I mean... I also, while I was going to the Groundlings, I was taking all these writing classes at UCLA Extension, screenwriting. I dragging friends to take them with me, screenwriting and sitcom writing and humorous article writing, I think one was called. Um, and uh, so I started kind of getting jobs. Like, I feel like, I mean, I, I booked a movie right out of acting school, like a weird indie movie. Um, and for a while I was just, before I started doing comedy, I just kept getting all these parts as the crying girl, like the drug dealer's crying girlfriend and the, you know, this crying. Now, how does one become a cry? Cause I, well, I did watch your reel and I saw you overly crying on Reno and of course it's for humor, but I mean, that's the right. thing, but, but how are you, I mean, how do people find out like, Hey, do you, we have Melinda Hill. She's a good crier. I mean, how does it work? Like this is such a random part. Yeah, I don't know. Well, for Reno, you pitch your own characters, so. But that I was comedy. Like but for like, for when you got out of. Oh, you know, for the other ones, you have to audition. Like I was auditioning for these parts, and you know, I feel like my acting training was really coming in handy because I was having to cry, cry, cry. But I was tired of crying, and so I was really grateful to get into comedy where I didn't have to cry anymore. But then the first part I got in comedy was on Reno 911, crying. <laughs> it's crying which, biker chick. So, um. But that was like a, just a character and they thought it was funny that like I would never get to my explanation of how I had fallen off the motorcycle. I would just be crying too hard. So that was like half half their idea. But yeah, so I was taking all these writing classes. I was taking all these groundlings classes. And then there was like such a long wait between groundlings classes. I think at one of the waits was like two or three years that I just said, you know, I don't want to be waiting. I'm going to I'm just going to start doing stand up. And so I started my own show. And I, from then on, I've been doing stand-up. Now, what do you, I mean, you say you started your own show. Did you start as the host? I mean, or did you, I mean, how did you start your own show? Yeah, we just, we didn't know how to start a show and we just started a show. I always, it was this girl, Melanie Vesey and me. Um, we went to a venue, now the Echo. Okay. And asked if we could do a show there. We started booking comedians. We didn't know any comedians. We started booking comedians. CJ, did, CJ Arabia gave me her full list of contacts. Isn't it weird? And I started cold calling. Yeah, what's that like? Because <laughs> I, I remember, because I had done comedy, I had gotten out of it. And then when I was back here a while back, my friend at an Italian restaurant in Burbank, and he said, hey, man, he goes, it was Victoria's. It's closed now. He goes, you you know, you sh you, why don't you do comedy again? I said, I, I don't know anybody. So I took an ad out on Craigslist. And I said, I'm looking for comics. And I, I knew people, but, you know, the guys I started in Philly with, you know, Paul Tompkins isn't going to come and do an Italian restaurant. You know, the people, Keith Robinson, they're not going to do Italian restaurants. So I put I put an ad out in Craigslist, and I got the most bizarre, like, some were real, but some were like, hey, like a ventriloquist thing and this shit. And I'm, like, sitting there going, it was just weird to try to get these acts because I didn't know anybody. That, that I mean, I knew people who were established, but you can't say, hey, I haven't talked to you for, like, three years. You want to come down and go to this Italian restaurant? So how did you get axed? Was it weird? Did you uh, get no, some? No. Comics are the easiest thing in the world to get besides, like, actors. Good acts, though. Good acts. I had uh, CJ hook me up with all these great alternative comics. We had Fred Armisen there playing Ferrisito. We had Wayne Fetterman. We had, like, amazing comics. Um, we didn't understand how hard it was to keep a weekly show going. So some weeks, and especially in a cavernous venue like that, that's like huge and probably seats a thousand people. It's very, diff we were very ambitious, but at the same time, it gave us about six months of stage time and uh, gave me experience producing um, a show, albeit by, you know, it's like anything else in LA, you just learn by by doing it by lying and saying you have experience right. and then by getting fired and then now you really do have experience <laughs> so no we stopped doing the show there because i went to finish um uh, at the groundlings and then i returned to stand up 
I was just doing little shows. You know how you start doing little shows. You do the little bringer shows around town. And then, you know, the bringer guys are like, hey, you were great. You should do our other show, you know. And then you bring all your friends. And uh, and then I just started getting booked on real shows and um, around the, you know. And um, I started Tiger Lily shortly after, which was a weekly show that's been going 10 years now. And is that at, is that that place that's in a strip, the Gower Gulch? It was in the Gower Gulch. It started at, on Vermont, and it was started at a place called Tiger Lily. I was writing um, a column at the time for 944 Magazine. It was like a sassy column where I would feature a different bar and restaurant every week, bring my friends, talk about our experience there. So one of my friends wanted to go to Tiger Lily. So we went, I took them there for dinner. I wrote about it in a sassy way. And then I went back like a week later and I was like, hey, you think we could start a comedy show here? And the guy was like, sure, I guess. I mean, let's see how it goes. And um, so Maria Bamford was back in town. She had been dating someone who lived uh, in Australia. She'd been gone a while. And she was like, I want to do a weekly thing. And then I asked my friend Natasha Legero if she would want to do it also and so I said all right how about Natasha books it Maria hosts it and I promote it and that was the plan and it's like we didn't have a sound system so Maria brought her karaoke machine and we didn't have a light you know for the performers right. so like one of the <laughs> fans brought like a Home Depot light and like it was blinding everyone so then a different fan like came in during the day and like a fix you know to attach a light and then it's like Suddenly, all these people started coming every week. So it was like free and it was easy. It was right in Los Feliz. And they gave us a tab, you know, so we could buy our friends drinks and dinner and stuff like that. And and it just kind of, I figured it might last. It's a weekly show. It might, And I had that other experience with producing that other thing that just kind of folded. And I thought, oh, a weekly show, you know, it'll probably last like a month. And it just got a pretty loyal following because there were these like great performers every week. And. Um, Natasha was booking it. She would just book it from the show. She'd be like, "Hey, can you come back next week? Can you come back?" You know, and then all these people, you know, wanted wanted to get booked. Um, and she found it was like very hard to say no to fellow comics. So, um, Steve Agee suggested we invent a fake booker. So we called him Bruce Baumgarten, and Steve created a fake. Uh, profile for him online it was a guy you could only see the eye behind this camera you could only see this guy's eye and uh we created a fake email for him and everybody would write to bruce Baumgarten, and then um you know <laughs> and then we got jazz to start booking it because you know booking's a big job and you don't want to oh, yeah. be involved in that and I mean, I've sent so I've said to so many people, of course you can have a spot, of course, of course, of course. But then we wanted someone to be officially involved, so Jazz Pond started booking it, and she's been booking it ever since. And then it's just kind of the show that never died. It went from there to Gower Gulch, and then it went to IO West and Bootleg, and now it's at UCB Sunset once a month. You know what's funny? It was started <laughs> out at the Tiger Lily restaurant, right? And I always thought it was a reference to the Woody Allen movie what's up tiger lily right well that's what that's the sort of the idea we had put it out to the fans on a special thing because we didn't know what to call it we we're like hey we're starting this new comedy show if anyone has any ideas for names it's tiger lily oh what's up tiger lily so we just called it that of course the restaurant changed its name several times after that to Coco libre and all kinds of things so we just kept the name um and uh, anyway, so that gave me a lot of stage time and a lot of experience producing and promoting, um, which was good. But I also started other shows during, you know, during those years, storytelling shows, one with Laura House, um, et cetera. But yeah, I started to, you know, I think it takes a while to get good oh, yeah. enough. And um, that about five years then I started to get TV appearances. Like what were some of your first TV appearances and were you nervous because it's it's TV? I mean, and I know it's seven minutes and if you're used to doing 30 minutes. I always think that when you have to do seven minutes, when you are an actor who can do 30 minutes, it's really hard to do seven minutes because you want to fit in your best stuff. And I always feel like you rush it. 
But did you ever get that feeling when you were on TV? I mean, because it's like, I want to get as much as I can get in to make me look really good. No, no? I, I like a I like a five minute TV spot. Um, I like to do isolated chunks. I, at that time, I was doing a lot of one liners. OK, so. I don't know. I just got kind of used to making a really strong five minute set. I think it's good to fun to work on it also because. A lot of places you're only going to get like five or seven minutes. So, but I think working it out to an hour is, is more of the challenge. And that's when you get more into like, you know, the first times you're headlining or, or featuring even you're taking a lot of sips of water right. <laughs> to fill the time. And I, and honestly, I think that's probably how I got into pausing so much is because um, I wanted to fill the time, but then, you know, then now an hour is so easy to fill. It's like taking stuff out, you know, but, but I think what I found or sort of organically through doing stand up was I would do a joke and they'd laugh and then I'd go on to the next one. But then when I started watching my tapes, I was like, oh, I'm rushing too much into that next one. And then qu- quite by accident, I discovered that if I didn't just start right into the next one second wave of laughter would come so I started getting this pace that was like pretty slow like pretty like a long pause between things and letting uh things really really sink in on other levels too well I love that the fact that that also uh, that really gives a confidence in your writing and they think like you know everyone can bring a crowd when they're laughing and everyone can rush it because they want to keep it going but it really takes a confidence in your writing to sit there and it's like, hey, and then you let it drop because if the next joke doesn't hit, then you get that. We all get that nervousness. But I mean, so did, did you ever go through that? Because it, I mean, or were you just that confident in your writing? Because it's not it's not easy to bring a crowd completely down and then bring them up because people. Well, I feel like if, if they keep laughing, I'm going to let them keep laughing because laughing feels good. So I'm really depriving them if I cut that short to jump into the next thing. So like if there's somebody still laughing. I'm going to let them laugh. And then if they're like, if it stopped, okay, there's only one or two laughing now. Okay, then I'll move on. But I find if you just give that pause, like, it's really weird. A second wave comes. But of course, for TV, you've got five minutes, 4.5 minutes. You got to jam through those. So don't worry about, you know, you give it a little, you got to practice with the, the key is practice with the pauses. Right. Practice where the laugh should be. You know, hopefully they will be there when you're taping live. But you got to practice with those pauses. Otherwise, you have a different set. If you're not practicing with the pauses for the laughter, you know, it's going to be a totally different time. Now, you said back then you were doing one-liners. Now, when did you start changing your act? Did you feel like you were growing out of one-liners? Or, I mean, what was your method? Because one, one I always think about one-liners is hard. It's like John Mendoza, amazing comic. But I, I asked him, I said, you know, how many jokes do you have to do in a 45-minute set? Right, right. And you have to remember, and it's like, holy crap. And when you write new stuff, like some people, you can write a chunk. When you write a five-minute chunk of a one-liner, you that's like 125 jokes. I mean, it's hard. Well, yeah. I mean, when you think about that, the math, or the the brilliance of Mitch Hedberg, like filling an hour with those. Um, I think... Uh, I, I mean, I still use both. Like I just did a bunch of shows in Vegas and a bunch of shows for troops, um, in five countries. And, you know, the one liners are always going to be a, a crowd pleaser, you know, but I like to fill it in with, um, longer stories. I, I do a lot of storytelling shows. So I started taking a lot of those stories from like sit and spin and, um, turning them into chunks and materials and also i feel like especially like through doing doing romantic encounters my series um that people really resonate with a more honest experience um that's going to have laughs but it's also going to leave a more poignant taste in your mouth and that's more what i'm uh like i guess going for now so you're doing stand-up and now you've done a few web series now, when did you start transforming over there? Because it's also, once again, and, I, I, and I'm a firm believer, in this town, it's all, we're, we're content creators. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'm a, I'll preach that. You, it's so easy to create your own content that if you're not, there's something wrong. Well, it goes back to the point of, you know, like, 
I was like waiting, 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 taking all these classes, which I think has value. And I'm so glad I did. But it's like when you start creating your, your own content, you're not waiting anymore. You're always busy. You always have a job. Um, and you're always able to represent yourself in a way that you would like to be represented. Um, I mean, I was writing stuff for people when I moved here. I was 21. I was writing um, short films for my boyfriend to star in. And we were making them with our little video camera, <laughs> um, which one of them came out a few years ago. It's so embarrassing. But um, <laughs> well, but you're young. It's, um, you know, it's the early. It's the early. It's the early days. But um, but um he he was great he's a great great actor his name's thomas jane um and we would like write little things together and then when i was going to ucla i was like i wrote a short film i dragged natasha to this screenwriting class and the teacher was an action uh you know writer he wrote actions like big so i was like action i never even watched that i don't even know what that is but i wrote an action in that class uh about car uh car thieves and that's the first short film i sold um over the phone to super deluxe and then i cast mary lynn rice kevin jim kirkman and natasha in that as car thieves um i just started making stuff and then um my first I, i was doing a lot of web stuff with channel 101 first my friend don cody um made a great series called fire guys that she asked me to co write where we played firemen and um, you know, and then I was like doing little things for other people's things there. And I was like learning a thing or two, but I really didn't really learn about making Webster's until I made my own, um, which was romantic encounters, which is where I took my stand up and turned it into a one person show. And then I turned it into these little webisodes. Um, and then after that, I made the program, uh, with Maria Bamford. And then I started teaching web series, which I've like learned so much in teaching. Well, what do you think other I mean, people when you do a web series? Yeah. You know, now what, I mean, what, if someone wanted to do a web series, you, I mean, I was in a web series a long time ago. It was only one episode. Well, it was two episodes, but it was before when the internet was starting out. It was called Steve Cooper, Not So Funny Guy. And <laughs> it was, I, I improv the whole thing and I played a, co- a comic who was just awful. And we got, <laughs> we had, my friend had a, a spot at E. So we were in the E, so long ago, this was the E video vault downstairs. And for me, I just did it for my friend. It wasn't me. What? made it great and it is great and it's not me it was because my friend trevor hop who i've talked to years he edited it so amazingly that you sat there and went from me just ad-libbing for you know 20 minutes to a three minute piece it just made it that's what made it great what would you instill in people when it comes to a web series you know what made your web series popular and you had people come on you know i mean and you can teach it so that shows that you have you have some street cred, as I would say, because if you were just like, if you're doing some crappy <laughs> thing, no one would go see. What do you, I mean, what made you sit there and really get the, the focus of the, of what you were doing and to learn and be able to teach now? Um, well, I mean, that's a great question. I, uh, I think it's really helpful to workshop things. I've been writing a pilot now that I've been workshopping. I've been having readings every week and it's just great. And then I'm doing a reading at the Comedy Central stage, um, I think February 3rd. It's, again, to give myself a deadline to complete it. But I think it's really helpful to hear things out loud and to surround yourself with brilliant people. I mean, that seems obvious, but really, like, I cast, everyone I cast in Romantic Encounters is absolutely brilliant comedian in their own right and writer. Um, You know, and when you're having Dana Gould or TJ Miller um, come in and, you know, lend their talent for the day, they're going to come up with something you didn't even think of, um, tags or a way to do a line that you didn't, you know, also it's just putting the time in, I think ahead of time, like I didn't just write that and shoot that. Like I was workshopping it. I had a weird story show where I would make the audience listen to these scenes. I'd have audience members come up and read. I just wanted to workshop it. And, um, so when we finally shot it, I knew where a lot of the laughs were going to be, you know, cause I had heard them out loud and I heard what people were responding to and I was editing out things that they weren't. And I knew also, um, I, I just think you have to tell some secrets to make things interesting. That's what people, that's what resonates with people. And, you know, 
you need to be vulnerable in your work and you need to show people who you are and how you've been hurt and how you've tried to overcome that. And I think um, people gravitate to that, you know, and so you, you don't shouldn't always be trying to present yourself as like, a, you know, a winner <laughs> when, you're, yeah. when you're not <laughs> always winning. So I don't know. Is that does that answer that? Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, you, you know, it's like something you know what you're doing and you know how to pass it on. You, you have to be vulnerable, too, when you teach. I think that's a big thing. Now, you also do voice work. I would say don't be vulnerable when you teach, though. You got to be in char- large and in charge. When yeah, but you I teach. mean, you have to show a side of vulnerability. I think. I mean, yeah, of course, you have to be. You have to know what you're doing. But I think if you sit there, it's like we all hate that teacher who is like, okay, I had a teacher. Oh no, I, I can't do that. Do that. I but can't be say, a mean teacher. That's not my brand. <laughs> it's not. See, that's good. That's, that could be your slogan. Melinda Hill, take her class. She's not a mean teacher. No. I'm joking. Now, it's now, now voice work. You got. You started doing a lot of voice. You do some voice work too. How'd you get into that? Yes, I do. Um, I guess what I'm most known for is my voices on Adventure Time. But I also did a voiceover for. I, how I got into it was I didn't get into it. I was never even again never sought it out. Never took a class. I had auditioned for about a million commercials and never booked one um during acting school but I was again being sent on all this like stuff for like models and stuff which is that's not where I'm gonna shine probably um but uh yeah what happened was I got a new commercial agent um through the groundlings they'd see me at the groundlings and they said hey we're putting in this voiceover booth uh we think you'd be really good at voiceover I was like really okay fun and they sent me on this audition it was um the first first audition voice audition that I ever did it was for city city bank uh identity theft and I thought they had said it was a spec I thought it paid like 50 bucks for some reason I'm not sure if they told me that or if I just thought that um so I wasn't that that concerned you know and I went in and took my time with the copy and I they said uh don't make it a valley girl um, so I just kind of read it in a way that I would talk to my friend and, um, it, I booked it. It ran for four years. It was a SAG national so commercial. It, w- it won an Emmy for outstanding commercial. What's that like, man? It's there, I mean, no, and it was known as the Valley girl voice. And you're like, it wasn't a Valley girl. It, they said no Valley girl. What's it like to know it's that known you, as the Valley girl the voice. project you won won an Emmy? That must be a great feeling. You know, I didn't, I, it was, it's, it's really cool. It's like, wow, this is a whole skill set I didn't even know I had. Although, of course, it makes sense. All these things I've been studying for all these years um, come to play in voiceover. You've got to be able to, again, I didn't know that not everyone can do this. You know, a lot of people are going to be very good at it who are actors um, or comedians. But, you know, it's not a given. Just like it's not a given that a comedian can be a great actor, which I've discovered a few times. Um you think, oh, they're hilarious on stage. Acting is a separate skill. Anyway, it feels great. And it's, I love going in um, to read stuff on Adventure Time. I think it is the most, you know, it's one of the most brilliant um, cartoons in the world. And the people who make it are absolutely brilliant. And I'm like thrilled that I get to be a part of that in any small way. So it's been great. And now you do a few different voices in that? Yeah, I do. Um, Dr. Princess, Frozen Yogurt Princess, uh, Crab Princess, and then I did a few more this year that haven't now, aired yet. How do you sit there and decide what your voice is going to be? Because it's like anything. It's like Yogurt Princess. You think, well, and that, that's such a vague title because you think, yo, I mean, it might, takes your creativity to sit there and be like, Let's, I mean, how do you sit there if they say, hey, you, you want you to be the Crab Princess? Do, do you- well, I do a lot of voices in my stand-up, and um, they are very familiar um, with those voices. So like I'll write ahead of time and say, Hey guys, what were you thinking for this? And a lot of times they have a, a great idea already what they wanted to they say. Oh, how about your tooth fairy voice from confessions of a tooth fairy? And that was, um, frozen yogurt. Um, how about your city, city bank voice, you know, for crab princess. And then for Dr. Princess, um, Penn Ward was just, you know, he was there that day and I, I just said, what, what, what were you thinking for this? He said, oh, just very clinical, a clinical voice. So I was like, oh, so I guess she talks like this. You know, it's just very. So you play with it and they, they give you, they give you time to play. Like they they work with you. Yeah. And then it's like, 
they'll tell you if they want it different, you know, and then if you can't do it right, um, you're out of here. You're gone. No. You're done. You're done. You're Get out of here. You're done in this business. You're never going to walk in this town again. So now what is All Grown's Up with Melinda Hill? So All Grows Up with Melinda Hill is an interview series where we ask popular comedians what they wanted to be when they grew up and how that's panned out for them. We ask them what advice they would give up-and-coming comedians um, and what's helped them the most. And it... We filmed all of them, all 20 episodes, in the alley behind Tiger Lily, my comedy show. We got some great interviews with like Karen Kilgariff, Marilyn Ricecup, Kyle Kinane, John Doerr, uh, Lori Kilmartin, all, all kinds of great people. Um, and they gave some great pointers. They're about three minutes long. They're bite-sized little interviews. They are on Chuckler.com and HuffPost Comedy. We did those a couple years ago. And it was sort of based on this podcast I was doing for a while with the best-selling author, Jillian Lauren. She wrote... She's um, been on my show. Okay, so yeah. So you know Jillian Lauren. She wrote Some Girls, My Life in a Harem, which is an awesome book. I just read her last book because she sent me it. And I read it, I read it in a day and a half because she was coming in to do my show. And I got it late. And it was a really good read. Yeah, she's a great writer. We did this podcast for a year called Eat My Podcast, where we asked people the same thing. Um, anyway, and then I did it as uh, as a web series. And now, do you enjoy the interviewing process? I love interviewing people. And in fact, I it's hard not to do it in life. People are always like, wow, you asked a lot of questions. I hardly talked about myself. But I just really love, um, I'm really curious, and I love interviewing people. And I, I realized it's something that I enjoy doing. I find it fascinating. And I also learned, you know, growing up, my mom was a market research manager. So she asked question after question, like, you know, trying to get laid in high school was impossible. Like, why'd you get home so late? Well, I was at such and such. Oh, who's house? And it's like, all right, mom, I was fooling around with the girl in the car, you know, because she would ask these questions. But I've learned it is. It's very fascinating because you, you can learn so much just talking to people, but then also listening. And a lot of people don't know that, but you have to listen. And a lot of people interview just talk, 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 talk. No, that's what you're really good at. You give those pauses and spaces, and a lot of people are not good with that give and take. That's what I actually miss about podcasting was that I got to see different people every week uh, for our interviews. But, it, you know, it's a lot of work to keep it going. So I admire you guys who can keep it going. We, I, we got a little too busy, but we had a great time when we so, did it. So now your show the other night with Lori Allen, uh, it was, uh, what was that show? Was that the UC, where was it at? The UCB? So that was at the UCB Sunset location, which is the new... I guess it's not really new anymore, but the location at Sunset Western is opposed to the Franklin location. And that is Romantic Encounters, which is my web series, but it is a, the live storytelling version, which we had our debut on the night before New Year's Eve, 1230. Um, and it was packed. It was sold out. Some people were turned away. Um, and it was an amazing show. And I'm really excited about this show because it's... Um, it's a it's a storytelling show and it's not just limited to comedians. We had like a best-selling author, we had, you know, a TV star, we had a, an animation star, um, we had, you know, a, a sex pert. Um, so it's like all different people telling their romantic dotes. Yes, I made that up. Their romantic anecdotes. Get that, get that, um, the seal neck. Get that copyrighted thing. <laughs> TM, romantic dotes. TM. And um, we, you know, some people show clips, and it, you know, we had people tweeting their um their best romantic dotes or weirdest pick up pick up lines, weirdest things that weirdest dates, and it was just a really fun, successful event. We're doing the next one. Uh, the night before Valentine's Day, February 13th at 7 p.m. also at UCB Sunset. And I intend to do it as a monthly show and just um, present the best, you know, most celebrated humorous and storytellers um, love and sex tales. Now, now, who do you already have people booked for the next show? Do no. You, so you don't know who's going to be on it yet. But there'll be some big names because you have some good names. I think Mary Birdsong was on it. You had Mary Birdsong. She's a fellow Jersey person. I love the Jersey people. She was absolutely brilliant. We had Steve Kaplan. Uh, we had Alexi Wasser, Ginger Gonzaga, Lori Allen, and Stephen Briggs for this Steven. one. But yeah, we'll have... Um, yeah, Stephen and I were just on tour together. On what? Tour together. Oh, and where at? We went to perform for the troops in Honduras, Curaçao, uh, Bahamas, 
Gitmo. We were in Gitmo on Halloween and Greenland. So what the one day of travel was from one equator to the other equator. We went from the south equator to Greenland. I want to do one of those tours. Yeah, you should. I always, I, I, I was like, that'd be fun. Because, you know, I sit there, I go, and I, I used to do comedy. And I, I, coming back now, I'm actually, I'm, I might start doing corporate comedy, which hey, Great. it's something that, you know, yeah. I have that look. Put me in a jacket, a tie, I can pass for it. I can look very professional. Absolutely. But, but so now, so now what else? We have a few minutes left. What else is going on with your career right now? What, what's, what's happening? Because you're always busy. Like anything you're excited about coming out? Like and you're excited about the UCB show. Do you have any new web series going? Or, or you know? I do. I'm doing a new, my, my fourth web series I'm doing is called The Door Girl. And um, that was just bought and we'll be making that. Um, I'm doing my pilot reading on February 3rd at Comedy Central Stage. And that is Romantic Encounters, the pilot, which I'm very excited about. Um, uh, just cause I have always people coming to me like, Hey, are you going to do a second season? Do you want to do a second season? Do you want to do a movie? Do you want to make it a pilot? So I was like, well, I kind of want to do all of it, but I'm just going to start with this pilot. Um, and we're still doing Tiger Lily once a month and I'm doing a lot more tour dates. Um, this year, you should get involved with the USO tours. I would love to. I, I'll, I'll talk to you later about it. I, I think it'd be fun. I, I, I want to give back. I want to give back to the people. It is really meaningful um you can follow me on twitter at melinda hill instagram at melinda hill um and facebook and now you have a web you have a website i do have a website it's a very nice website do you like it one of my students one of my students came to me and said the website sucks why he said i would like to redesign it for you and he made this one oh yeah yeah this is good no no okay but but now your shop you have is it are those albums or, or cds or there's we need some merch you need some merch romantic encounters t-shirts merch is easy to get i knew i do need some of those t-shirts when you go out on the road doing comedy you can make so much money you know what you sell a t-shirt for 15 bucks after a show you get them for four it's 11 bucks you sell a hundred no i listen i sold a bunch of merch in vegas i sold a bunch of t-shirts so you have melinda t-shirts. hill t-shirts all right so like well, what's on your melinda hill t-shirt i have melinda hill t-shirts designed by kai aarons he's a famous uh, graphic artist who did you know posters for beck dolly parton everyone he was nice enough he's like best friends with jeffrey ross so that's how i know them from tiger lily but he was nice enough to design my t-shirts um i've either i've sold them all over the world and now in vegas and i also have a cd of story stories called the accidental bisexual also available on itunes but i sold you know hard copies in vegas um, and I have a DVD that has like some early short films. But the there's no T-shirts on your website. What? They used to be on there. I looked. I went on today. I'm, I'm, I have your website right now. I go to shop. You are very concerned with these T-shirts. I am because you know what? That's the thing. It's like everyone. <laughs> everyone says you know it says coming soon T-shirts, bumper stickers, and cake decorations. But you only have power hot tubbing, the accidental bisexual, and she. Six ways to bomb on America's Got Talent. That's what you have. I want T-shirts. That's my quest. That's that, what I'd like oh you to God, do. Oh, my God. I have a great T-shirt. I should Instagram it later today. Thank you, you for the reminder. Yeah, well, that merch was up there for a while, and it was selling Sold like out. the opposite hotcakes. Well, you know. but just... um, <laughs> So I think I just kind of uh, need to stay on top of it better. But, yeah, people love the T-shirts. There was this um, woman going through chemo who was at my show in Vegas, she gave me a hug. She bought a T-shirt. Her and her husband. She said, "This is our last big weekend out before I go into chemo. I'm going to sleep in this T-shirt every night. Dude, that's so good. Soft. It gives a, a soft uh, American apparel. It's good. T-shirt. Well, I, I want to thank you for coming on. See, I want to thank you for having me on. That was an hour. It goes pretty fast, huh? It does. See that? So people follow her. It's it's your Twitter. Twitter is at Melinda Hill. Instagram at Melinda Hill. So follow her. Go to her website, melindahill.com. Follow me on Twitter. It's at Cooper Talk. That's at Cooper Talk. Go to my website, coopertalk.net. I have, oh God, 460 episodes up there. Uh, you can email me, cooper, at coopertalk.net. I will get back to you. If you have a Android phone or tablet, go to the Google Play Store. It's free. Download the Cooper Talk app. As soon as my episodes load on my website, they go straight to your phones. You can listen to me anytime iTunes and Stitcher are also Cooper Talk. Also, I'm coming back. I haven't done comedy forever. Uh, January 31st, I'll be opening for Hal Sparks at Flappers. 7 o'clock show. It's Sunday, Jan, uh, January 31st. Come on up. 
I'm only doing 12 minutes, but it, I haven't been on stage for a while. It'll be fun because I, I want to get back up on stage more. And also, go to my other website, StopTheSalt.com. You remember when I had that bad health problem? I had to change my diet if I wanted to live. So I wrote a cookbook, StopTheSalt.com. It's 120 recipes. They're cooking for one. They're easy. There's no pictures. You look at the pictures, you get intimidated. That's why I have no pictures. And the ingredients are easy. If you don't have cumin, don't worry. I don't have any cumin in my recipes. So go get it. You can get it at Barnes & Noble or Amazon. But if you get it for StopTheSalt.com, I make more money and I will also sign it. So thank you for listening. Follow at Melinda Hill. Follow me at Cooper Talk. I'm only Steve Cooper. I'm as hip as my guest. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins. I will talk to you guys next week.